we're ready to go. Are you in the market for a theme song? We are. Do you want to create one? Sure. Well, we'll throw it to you. You're going to throw it to you. You're obviously going to create it, I'm guessing. You're going to do it when we say to do it. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And And this this is Round Round Springfield. Tim Long. <laughs> no, sing the song. Sing your song. Oh, I, don't, I, promise, I made a. I, I, I wrote a, ca- a check my ass couldn't cash. <laughs> An expression I've never used in my many, many decades on earth until now. And it's so I think satisfying. I start using it. I, did, I think you should open every meeting checks? with it. I made an online debit that my Bitcoin account could not Thank you. Thank you for bringing it into the year 2019. Year 21st century. Yeah, I was like. Or 2020. It was like, ladies, you leave your theme song to me. And then. As always happens, my bluff got called, <laughs> and I stammered and drooled. And as this is a live show, we cannot right. go back. We, we cannot go back. And <laughs> we who would want to with after that bit of podcast magic? All right. Let's just jump into it. You've already heard his voice, and you've heard his name, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. I... He is the writer of 29 episodes of The Simpsons. Please give it up for Tim Long. Give up what in the in the phrase "give it up"? What are they? What is the it? Like give give up your ability to not clap. Okay. You're going to give that away because you're going to start clapping. To, not, to refrain from I want clapping. Everyone that's okay. listening to this in traffic to start clapping. All right. Hi, everybody. <laughs> what, a, what a treat to be here yeah, on an unspecified Sunday. It's a, this is a live podcast, but it's also a Skype with everybody listening. So Hello. we have a back and forth. I see your Sunday dinners. They look delicious. <laughs> um, we're so excited to have you as our guest Thrilled. on this spin off podcast because you are a very accomplished person, and we'll get into all the different parts of your career that are not. Simpsons related, but you're also a delight. And oh, so, thank you! It's so I couldn't, great to have I couldn't you. be a bigger fan of the two of you both uh, as people and have you uh, tried? and as writers. <laughs> Not very hard because I I don't want to be a bigger fan. I feel comfortable with my level of adulation. It would be time consuming. I'm right, a huge right. fan of you as people, as podcast tricks, chassis, and as uh, as writers, and again as people. So four different ways. I'm a huge fan. That's hey. enough. That's good. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate and I'll accept that. Yeah. Sure. So, Tim, you have been on the show before. We had a great time. Uh, and this is when, for any new listeners, we were called Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. But this um, is an entirely – I don't like to think of it as this is a, as a, just as a modification. It's modific- not a rebrand. This isn't a modification of that no, podcast. No. That podcast died. It's, it did. And, Long uh, from, dead. And from its ashes was born – The phoenix, that is. Much more sophisticated yes. endeavor. Still mm, Simpsons-related. Yeah. But you're different people. I'm a di- I'm probably composed of completely different molecules than I was <laughs> yeah. the day that I came on that podcast. It yeah. was fine, but we've grown. I appreciate you saying that because I feel that completely. <laughs> I banish the thought of that person that I was when we gathered in my home. She seemed great at the time. She, But she had her issues, and I'm glad she's dead. But she's sorely lacking in retrospect, <laughs> as am I. I was Think- an alcoholic then. <laughs> <laughs> hey! You were. I know that. And now I'm a lot taller. Hey. A real thing. I've grown an inch since mm. I... Is that... Wait, what? Is that happen when you stop drinking? It happens when you uh, actively work on your posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out it's bad to not stand up straight. Huh. And I've you, heard that too. You and I'm very... confident when you stand up straight. Yeah. It's weird. Can I share something with you that was a weird, like, kid logic thought I had for the longest time? I guess so. <laughs> I prefer that you didn't. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it anyway. It's my show, Tim. Um, <laughs> I thought for the longest time that when women give birth, they shrink. Like, their posture. Like, And, and I, there may be Where science that backs Where did you glean that up. information? I don't know, but I somehow... I think I just heard... If anything, they look taller compared to the baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think I heard somebody, and I don't think it was my mom, but some woman who had children be like, I lost an inch of height when I had my By that baby. logic, back in the day when women would have 12 or 13 children, eventually they would disappear. <laughs> they would, they <laughs> they would, would cease to themselves exist. <laughs> like Homer folding his uh, face into himself. Yeah, I just thought that was true, and I just believed it. And uh, I remember one time just casually saying that to my aunt, and she looked at me, and I still feel that heat she gave to me of like, 
who the hell told you? Like, I, I will never make that mistake again. That's so, so weird. Yeah, it's weird. But don't you find that whenever somebody disabuses you of a false notion, I'm both grateful and a little sad. Yeah. Because it just means, A, I'm dumb, and B, that just sort of like one of the sort of comforting truths by which I lived my life is now right. gone. Yeah. I was so comforted by the fact that women got smaller <laughs> with pregnancy. I was comforted. Well, I, I, it's like the day, I remember the day that I was told Santa Claus doesn't exist, and yeah. the day I found out that women don't shrink when they give birth. So, so both happened today. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm glad. How old to were you when you that. found out Santa Claus didn't exist? Thirteen motherfucking years wow. old, bitch. That's pretty I, old. Yeah, I bitch. stopped believing in God long before. <laughs> I know I was too old to believe in Santa Claus because I was already saying like sarcastic, nasty things to my mom. Like when she explained, like Santa, you know, uh, well, when I got you that trampoline, I said, "Um, Santa got it for me." <laughs> I honestly think that you held on to it as ammo for that contentious oh, relationship. Yeah. It's I, just like I, you know, if they're not going to come forward about their lie. <laughs> it does feel like there's a kind of a bittersweet moment for all kids where they don't believe in Santa Claus but they don't want to hurt their parents' feelings because oh, maybe the parents worse. do. Oh yeah. my god. Well, oh, you just tapped into it's, it's a, a very a, big thing a, for me. It's a Proustian thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like uh, Allie and I are both children of divorce and like if you want to talk about filling your parents' emotional void, <laughs> baby, we oh are here god. for it. <laughs> wow, okay. You just got to make sure everyone's okay, you know? <laughs> right, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> and on you that note... You don't have kids, do you? I do not. I do I... not. And my parents stayed together, although sometimes I wish that they would split up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. I would have been very surprised to learn... Uh, that you have kids because I consider you a friend and they've never come up. They've never come up. Yeah, I just like, I try to keep them to myself. Yeah, that would, you would, that be, would be the one odd. parent. Yeah, that would be yeah. psychopathic. What, you don't know my seven children? <laughs> you know, I try to keep it separate from my work and it's like, and we're friends. And friendships and also yeah. my personal life. Well, it's, um, I ask only because I think that people maybe assume that you have to live the life that you write. And I think that for a lot of, um, you know, uh, people were really surprised that Fleabag is an autobiographical, for instance. And that, of course, has tinges of sexism. But right. there's also an idea that if you're writing about a family, maybe you have to have kids to understand the perspective of Bart and Lisa, which is, of course, untrue if you're well, a Well, I certainly, writer. I have been the child of parents. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've made Explain the, how. I, I've been the amazing, well, my parents at one point were well acquainted with each other. <laughs> And uh, their, their various actions of acquaintance resulted in me and my sister. Wow, that's the best explanation I've ever heard. It's for pretty that. hot. That's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of like Round Springfield after dark, the way I describe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we've all. I mean, I think that The Simpsons. The reason it's so successful. Um, apart from the fact that all other television is terrible, yeah. is that it does tap into certain universal emotions. We've all been in a frustrating family. We've all both loved and hated our siblings <laughs> slash parents. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not that hard to figure out. I mean, the, right. fil the filigree and the details is what makes it intermittently hilarious. But for the most part, I think everyone around the world can get it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, like, it the... You know, all of the jokes and all of the absurdity that, you know, the show goes to won't work unless it's grounded in some sort of truth. Yeah. Some sort of story about Certainly. things that are relatable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by far the – I mean, usually the best shows are ones that you can uh, describe in a sentence. Yeah. Even if that sentence is outlandish. Yeah. How would you describe The Simpsons in a sentence? Well, this actually happened one time when Yao Ming was on the show. Mm. Um, I did a show. Here we go. I did. All the content I wanted. I did, well, this is actually, I'm sort of contravening the mandate of the show, which is to talk about things outside of The Simpsons. But I did a show called Homer and Ned's Hail Mary Pass, where Homer taught famous athletes to perform uh, celebratory, obnoxious celebratory dances after scoring. And <laughs> mm -hmm. so we wrote the, like we do with a lot of these episodes, we wrote, we put in parts for a whole bunch of like celebrity athletes, hoping that we get just a couple of them. And we ended up getting all of them. Mm -hmm. One of them was LeBron James in her first season. And he came in and it was, I think it was the only the second episode The Simpsons had ever done that aired after the Super Bowl. And he came in and he said, oh, so this is going to be on after the Super Bowl. And I said, yes. And he said, you know, I, I love it. I've, I've watched the Simpsons Super Bowl special every year it's been on. Every year after the Super Bowl, I, you know, I actually look forward to watching the Simpsons. And I was like, LeBron James just lied. <laughs> <laughs> he was 18 at the time and it was his freshman season. And I thought, why are you trying to – why are you doing that? I love that. And I thought, 
I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I thought, what a weird, useless – is he trying to impress me? And then I thought, definitely, LeBron yeah, James yeah. is trying to impress me, and that's great. But <laughs> Yao Ming came in, and he came in with – his English was pretty good, uh, certainly arguably better than my Mandarin. In the sense that I speak <laughs> none, I speak none. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't want to make fun of him for his, his lack of command of English. But somebody said his one of his handlers came in and said, uh, uh, "Yao Ming wants to know what this is about." And I said, "Okay, the whole idea is Homer has decided to open this business where he teaches athletes to do crazy, obnoxious dances, and you want to do this. You want to be one of these guys who does crazy, obnoxious dances after you score, and so that's what he's going to teach you to do." And then he sort of looks at me and he speaks to his translator, and the translator says to me, "No, what is The Simpsons?" <laughs> and I, I was like, it. "Shit, okay." And I was like, "Well, there's this guy, and he's Homer, and he's a little portly, and boy, oh boy, he is a creature of impulses, I'll tell you. And he loves to drink alcohol and food, and I'm sort of acting it out too. And I'm like, Marge, she's a little bit of a school, but she has crazy moments too. And then at least it's the smart one. And Bart, don't get me started on Spart. He's a real scam. So there's a family with a lot of problems, but a lot of heart too. And then. After I got through this sweaty description, he just looks at me and goes, why? <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. And I still have no answer to that question. Amazing. <laughs> why? Wow. How often does Yao Ming saying why come into your uh, head when doing anything? Well, right now, for example, <laughs> on a Sunday morning. That's amazing. Yeah. I just so wish that you could time travel back to pitch The Simpsons in the way that you just I just did. I couldn't do I mean, I was, I was like, he was looking at me and everyone was looking at me. And normally I love that. But it just it was so uncomfortable. I was yeah. like, how do I describe the essence of the world's right, most popular TV right, show. Right, right. I just, my favorite part of that was, and don't get me started on Bart. <laughs> I was dancing, I, that's what's going to well, stick with me that's what I, what the, well, I mean, don't get me started on Bart. That's camp. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. you, the two of you are very young. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. And Thank I'm, you are, so much. Not a compliment. <laughs> but, I will take so, it as such. So you're not old enough to remember the initial phase of Bart fever. People lost their fucking minds yeah. over Bart Simpson when I when I was in college. Okay. That's how Brag. super annuated I was. Yes, in like sort of prehistoric times. Yeah. Um, when it was, it was affordable. So, it was so... You're the it, oldest w- person I've ever met. <laughs> I'm 35 See how we turned old. it on you? Now I feel, yeah. Now I, Te- now I feel bad about myself. Teacher. And for that, I do not eat help. <laughs> but yeah, I saw the show for the first time in college and I just thought, oh my God, I hope they let me watch this again. <laughs> I don't know why I thought there was any sort of barrier to entry to watching it, but I was just so excited. But now I write for it. That's so And yet I'm still not that happy. (laughs) That's the surprise. Isn't that a real son of a bitch? Yeah, that's the M. Night Shyamalan twist that we all live. Absolutely. All my dreams have been achieved, and I'm still sort of down. Mm, I have a personal question, and feel free not to answer it. Do you talk about The Simpsons much in therapy? Because mm. that seems like something that. That's a oh, great that's question. a really good question. I really First of all, did I, did I just <laughs> confess that I go to therapy twice a day and have only been... in your eyes <laughs> twice a week and have for the last eighteen years? I don't remember bringing that up. <laughs> when you said twice a day, I was like, mm. twice a day is pretty. That's like a very fifties New Yorker cartoon. That's, uh, what about Bob? <laughs> yeah, basically, that's a, that's a, that is an underrated film. It is an underrated. Let's talk about that now. <laughs> I love it. It's like Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray after a long sabbatical. Bill Murray yeah. didn't do a movie for like five years because he moved to Paris. Yeah, yeah. In the and late was, 80s. I want to say after Quick Change, right? Which uh, that's What about Bob was after underrated. Quick Change? Quick Change was one of his... He went from... Now we're going way... <laughs> I know. Let's go home. back to therapy, though. Okay, yeah. We all know that Bill Murray's great. You know, great. I do sometimes. You know, it's funny because... I, you know, when you write on The Simpsons or when you're involved in any endeavor, you tend to sort of like downplay it. You're like, yeah, I write for The Simpsons. And you know, people are going nuts for it. And you're just like, yeah, whatever. It's just like a job. And But then my, I, I have a therapist who intermittently makes it clear to me that he doesn't watch the show. And it pisses me off. <laughs> oh, I, I'm Yeah, and I'm like, that. what are you doing? He's like, oh, just, I, I, it's a cartoon. And I don't, it's not a cartoon. It's an institution by which we govern our lives. It yes. is. Yes. It's a part yeah. of us all. Yes. A part of us yes. all. So My, it does yeah. It does come up. I don't really use – so I don't use it as – So it comes up with anger about your therapist. A little bit. Well, that's a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it, yeah. Um, and also sometimes – every once in a while, this is going way into another realm. But I, I always – I mean I, I like the therapist because I love to talk as I hope is clear today. I love talking <laughs> about myself and I find I really work things out. But every once in a while, we have a crisis where I'll say – what should I do in this situation? It's like, this isn't about advice. And I'm like, 
no, I think I really need advice here. Could you just be a friend and tell me what to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, no, that's just not part of the mandate. He's like, please. And then he'll give me some piece of advice, and it's so dumb <laughs> that oh I stop going for a little while. I badger him into giving me advice, and then he's, his advice is like the worst friend you could possibly do you, have. Do you think it's bad on purpose? No, I think he's just adult. <laughs> and I love the guy. I really do. I think he's really smart, and he's become a fixture in my life. But just like, it's like finding out that your parents are not Einstein and yeah. Mrs. Einstein. Or like they can't lift a car. Right, exactly. Right. Although you remember the human giant sketch about that, right? Very the well. The funniest yes. thing in the world. <laughs> I don't know if I know that it's, one. It's a uh, service where basically it's a furniture like moving company. They're moving company, yeah. Uh, but they uh, the the way that the moms do it is oh, a, so, a their son or a great. child is trapped under a big so fridge, they, and then they suddenly get the strength. They drop because... the fridge on the baby, and then this it's part. Of, and then at one point, <laughs> they <laughs> there's one part of the commercial where they drop the piano on the baby, and then the mother says, I'm sorry, but this isn't my child. And so they have to quickly <laughs> arrange for an adoption. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And then after the adoption happens, she suddenly gets the super strength, Damn. and she carries the piano. It's really funny. That's the kind of darkness I crave. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the kind of conversation about, you know, what we think is going to make us happy, and then realizing we may right. never be happy in the way that we want to be happy. But yeah. wouldn't most people listening right now think that if they got to have their dream job, whether it's working on The Simpsons or running a company, whatever it is, you suddenly all of your problems would go away. And it's really amazing. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this show is to kind of, you know, get to know the writers on a more personal level uh, because, uh, you know, we, uh, we actually have a chapter in the book where we talk about writers. Uh, our book is 100 Things the Simpsons Fans Should Know and Two Before They Die. Thank you for the quick plug. Adorable. Of course. And <laughs> Wait a second. Did that book come out? It, it did. did. Oh, There's my even God. even an audio book. How come I don't? Who did the audio book? We Not did us. it. <laughs> Not you? They alerted us of its existence, which... Um, That's so weird, though. Is. It's they... weird, but I accept that this is who the Who are the reality. people who... What, huh? Professional voice actors, but we got an email that said, congratulations, the book is now uh, going to be an audiobook. And Julia and I said, great, here's our schedules. We'll come in whenever. <laughs> they're just like, no, it comes out tomorrow. Know, like, yeah. What the, the singularity is real. <laughs> That's so uh, You know, it's pretty, I mean, unless you're like Malcolm Gladwell or somebody, it tends to be somebody else. Yeah, but but also, you could give a bitch a heads up. <laughs> I know. That's my opinion. I know, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, as uh, you are saying, Allie. Well, there's, uh, you know, uh, I wrote a chapter where I'm talking about how I personally think that each of the writers should have like a a monument like I think that the Simpsons writers are so important and crucial to society that there oh, should I be concur. there should be <laughs> yeah there should be statues there should be you know mm-hmm. a Simpsons Mount Rushmore there should be something commemorating that because I just think they're gods but of course I also I don't disagree right <laughs> yeah uh, but I also just talking about yourself <laughs> yes exactly yes. but I also mine is a monotheistic system <laughs> and I, I stand that. atop it in knowing people whose work you admire, you do remind yourself, like, if I worked really hard, this could be something that I strive for as well. And they're not just people who are born that way, necessarily. They worked really hard and diligently, and they made it such that this is their lives. And Mm so uh, the podcast is for people who both uh, have a tremendous interest in, in kind of the entertainment world, or just are kind of like, who are these people I've never even thought about? Uh, a writer's name of The Simpsons. I just like what Homer and Marge do, right. <laughs> right. you know, because right. that was certainly me for a lot of my viewing experience of I never once thought about uh, that there were writers. I just right. thought Marge is so great and Homer is so funny and I wish I could hang out with them. That's mm-hmm. uh, you know, It's interesting to me. I, again, I hate to harp on our age difference. However, I have to assume that how old were the two of you when you first kind of gained consciousness of The Simpsons slash became fans? Since birth. Yeah, it, it was on. But that's, I mean, you're being silly, but I'm like, not. No, it, it was because inst- my dad three, and, four, probably. Well, I was born in '88, so it was kind of like around. I mean, I'm as old as The Simpsons, pretty much. Yeah. Um. So probably around like five. To wow. Be honest. Okay. So yeah. really, when so you kind of caught it when it was still the hottest yeah. thing around. And did your parents let you watch it? Yeah. And in fact, um, <laughs> that was like the last like bits of my parents, uh, my recollection of my parents being married before they got divorced. Of oh. my dad making basically like VHS mixtapes of the first couple seasons oh. and episodes. And then <laughs> this is going to sound really sad, but it's actually quite nice. When my parents got divorced and my dad moved out, I would 
would watch that Simpsons VHS tape oh. over and over as in a way a way to connect with my dad. That's sweet. And yeah. you and you just remember watching it from as early as you can. Yeah, well my sisters are both like 8 and 10 years older than I am and then my dad is young and my mom also loved the Simpsons so it was the Simpsons and Seinfeld and SNL were constantly on. And you like, never and you there was never a sense of like, "Oh, there's certain episodes we can't let Allie watch." Oh my god, no. I so the rule that my dad had was that I could watch anything in terms of um maturity unless it was like graphically sexual um or incredibly violent but however i remember watching like kurosawa films when right. i was a kid the rule was as long as it's written well i could watch it and oh, so that's good because contextually like if something is well done it's most likely not going about um, you know, edgy topics in the wrong way. And right. so it's kind of like, well, they're going to have a good point or this is something that I could rationally discuss with my kid. And so, you know, I was watching a lot of adult stuff as a child, but I feel like I, I got it good. or it went over my head. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. And like my dad really made a point. Uh, my dad uh, was a stand-up comedian in the 80s. Really? And, like, yeah, he was a warm-up comic. And well, I always say my joke wow. is that I'm a second-generation Hollywood dream chaser. My parents came <laughs> to make it. And, okay. and then they pivoted and I'm here and don't worry, I've talked about it in therapy. Um, but uh, my dad, you know really made a point to uh, educate my sister and I, and not in a way where it felt like education, but he was right. introducing us to, like, the best of, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy on SNL on, like, a Betamax tape. Wow, and okay. Albert Brooks movies, Defending Your Life yes. is one of my favorite movies of all time. He's we, also so sexy. He's so sexy. He's the best. But we would watch Don Knotts movies, and I was like, Eight. Don Knotts also yeah. very sexy. Yeah, very sexy. Hey, um, I'm serious about Albert Brooks. Don't <laughs> say. I know. Oh, Albert Brooks is great. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm, Modern I'm romance. thinking about... I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, well, Don Knotts is the love god, you know. I guess he's the ultimate twink. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll and he's that. Mr. Furley. Yeah, well, uh, yes. So, With those kerchiefs, those pastel kerchiefs. I mean, those coy little kerchiefs. But anyway, I, so it, similar to the way Allie grew up, it was sort of par for the course right. of, like, the maturity level being a little bit more sophisticated, and I Still, to this day, I'm like, I was an old soul back then. Like, the highest honor you could give me. I I have to say, like, I grew up in a small town in Canada, and a lot of people were very religious. And they they really made an obsessive point of governing the stuff that their kids could watch and, and read and look at. And even people I knew who weren't religious, their parents were really strict about it and would want to, like, check anything out before they read it or looked at it. And I just feel like, you know, there's no – I don't think there's any real rule for how to raise your kids. But I think people who, like, restrict what their kids can watch kind of suck. Yeah. And I think it sort of backfires. My parents, for whatever reasons, uh, just didn't care. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I I remember one time my friend and I, we were both – we were precocious kids with no other friends. And so we decided we were going to read The World According to Garp. The book by John Irving. Great. And we were so young. I think yeah. John Irving was on the cover of Time or something. It was yeah. like, we're going to read this book. Yeah. And so we both started reading it. And it's got some dirty stuff in it. And then his parents at some point said, hold on. we got to check out this book first. And they read it and said, nope, you're not reading it. And my parents just didn't care. <laughs> right. And so that felt like a controlled experiment. Mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. still he that kid's doing fine, but let's face it, he's not doing as well as I am. No, yeah. So, <laughs> what's his name? Few what's are. his name? Let's look are. up his net worth. I mean, <laughs> mine is negative at this point, but in terms of just like you know, Clout. television credits. Yeah, a blue check. American citizenship. Yes, which I now possess. Hey, again, coveted things. Mm-hmm. Let's take this opportunity during our break to Google that kid and uh, we'll be right back i listen to bullseye because jesse always has really good questions what did john malkovich wear when he was 20 i don't know how to describe it there's always that moment where jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before i don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me and that is so real Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases. I ask them questions. They're good ones. And then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling. 
my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a floby, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. I have a story about the first time I got free lunch at the Letterman Show. Oh, yes. Let's dive into that. Okay. So the, that was the first amazing thing to me. I thought, actually, we wouldn't, we'd have to, I started at the Letterman Show many, many years ago, and uh, we'd have to buy our own lunch, but if we stayed late, which we almost always did, they'd send menus around, mm-hmm. and they'd say, like, just order whatever you want, do the PAs, then an hour later would show up, and I couldn't believe it. I yeah. just couldn't believe all this f- delicious free grub. So much so that, like... Once a week, we wouldn't stay late, and I would find myself lost. I'd be like, what, can I have the money that you would have given us? So I, I called my dad, and I said, you're not going to believe this, but uh, this is, they're giving us free dinner. And he's like, no, they're not. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're gonna give you, they're going to send you an invoice. I've run a business. There's no way you can run a business where they're buying everybody free dinner. So just set some money aside. And I set some money aside for like three or four months until I realized it's not coming. I mean, I it still it. could come. Mm-hmm. 25 years worth of free dinners may, <laughs> yeah, fi- may yeah. finally catch up with me. Yeah. But I'm starting to doubt it. That's incredible. <laughs> so I always, I never take it for granted. Uh, so, Tim, talk to us. And I know that you've uh, explained this to us before, but for new listeners to the new show, talk us through kind of how you got your start as a TV writer and kind of how you even found your interest in that field. Oh, okay. So I grew up in small town Canada. Um, I was just talking about how my town didn't have an elevator. Uh, I love it so much. Which I have to amend, they had grain elevators. It was a little town called Exeter, Ontario. Well, not, I mean, the grain would disagree (laughs) as it's hoisted skyward. I don't care about the grain. This isn't a podcast for them. (laughs) Well, that may be the third incarnation of the podcast. Um, So, but I was always super into comedy, super into humor. I loved the original SNL. I loved Letterman in the 80s. Um, and I was just super – and Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. uh, super deep into all that. I loved Zany Magazine. I loved Cracked Magazine, <laughs> um, uh, the various publications. And so I was super into it. And start, I started a humor newspaper in high school, which I ran for a couple of years. And so I was, and then I went to college and I wrote a humor column in college. And then I – What college did you go to? I went to the University of Toronto initially. And then I moved to New York and I went to graduate school at Columbia because I had this weird thing that I was going to be a professor of something. Mm-hmm. That's so funny because when, when I was saying that you're the oldest person I've ever met, I was kind of thinking <laughs> you like... you got to say, feel... you, you have to... <laughs> well, let's just clarify that I can't possibly be the oldest person you've ever met. I mean, uh, I would say you? Yeah. I'm 50. I can't I just think of a number 50. larger than 50. <laughs> you have to have grandparents. No. You know that almost every major... Are you supporting Elizabeth Warren? I've dated people older than you. <laughs> All right. Let's just take a weird turn. <laughs> I'm going to let it happen. I'm, 50, I'm a 50, quiet I mean, little mouse in the I mean, corner. It's funny, though, because when you're 50, I remember when my parents were 33 and I thought, well, yeah. life has passed them by. And yeah. Homer, you know, that sound it seems so old when you're right. a kid, especially. Right. And then you find out that, like, like Jay Sherman is 34 and you're just like, what the That's fuck? Too, yeah. I mean, yeah. Homer at, at, the, at one point was 36. I think. I think he's 40 now. Mm-hmm. Oh. But yeah, 40 seemed crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even today, if you talk to children, which sometimes I do, <laughs> um, I volunteer sometimes at a sleepaway camp. And um, when my Does age... a sleepaway camp know about that? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, uh, when my age somehow gets out, uh, it scandalizes mm-hmm. the whole cabin of 10-year-olds. Because again, like, right. and I remember that experience of being that age and maybe watching like the real world and hearing right. about like, oh, this one person in the real world is 22. Wow, what an adult. And right. now I hear that and go they got married at 22 right. what the fuck they're like, covered in they're... fetal in fetal goo yeah yeah i'm like they're a baby <laughs> yeah yeah but i think i was uh i don't think i finished my thought that i was going to say that you seem very professorial to me like mm, a cool okay. like the cool yeah, professor think, that everyone I think, wants i think that's what i was aiming for but then I, it just seemed incredibly depressing and and, suicide, and like a lot of work suicide inducing <laughs> and i and i was just sort of drawn 
to, you know, just easier pursuits. And so <laughs> I ended up yeah. interning at the Old Spy magazine, which is a really funny magazine from the 90s. And then the great thing about the, the magazine was on, was on its last legs, but a lot of people who ended up working other places were there. I don't know if you know of a guy named Louis Theroux, uh -uh. who runs, who does these really funny documentaries in England. But he was there at the time, this guy named Chris Kelly. There's about four of Chris Kelly's, but one of the Chris Kelly's was there. And he went to work for Bill Maher wow. Um, wow. at the old Politically Incorrect show when it was on Comedy Central. And he recommended me there. I went there for a spell. And I was a baby, but I stayed there for a little while. And then I went to Letterman for a few years. And then I went to The Simpsons. And I've been associated with The Simpsons one way or another for well nigh 20 years. And now, but I'm, I'm a consulting producer now. Hmm. Which and means I only go in three days a week. Yeah. Which aside, is great. aside from the the slightly lighter workload, I guess, what is the difference from well, you started as a staff writer, I'm assuming, or did you At start as a story editor? Oh, I started as an executive story editor. Ooh. That was back with Ooh. all these titles. Wow. This reminds me, you know, I, it, people take it so seriously, mm -hmm. but it reminds me of a time that I was on the phone with my nephew, who was like four years old at the time, and I didn't know what the hell to talk to him about. And so I was like, so uh, you're in kindergarten now. And he goes, senior kindergarten. <laughs> he was so mad because apparently the fall term of your junior kindergarten in the spring. I've never heard that in my life. Senior kindergarten. But I love it. I love it. So and so that much. whole thing about like I started off as story editor, but now I'm executive story editor. <laughs> and of course, that title to your my mother was like, so you are the executive in charge of the story and you edit it? And I was like, what a stupid s s like, assumption. Just because I'm an executive story editor doesn't mean I'm an executive and I somehow edit the story, Mom. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'll never recover from senior kindergarten. So That'll mad. Be... Like, I'm getting upbraided by, like, a four-year-old oh, boy. I love it so much. Yeah, well, also... And I'm just trying to make conversation with you, Yeah, jerk. hey, I'm trying real hard and yeah. you just get to but sit if, there. But then if he'd said to me, I understand your story, and I was like, executive story. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, yeah well, also, um, and we don't go into this a ton, but I... I you know, the terms for story editor is mm -hmm. different, um, even from, even though it's still animation, but like story editor in like kids animation is a, a bigger title. I think so. Then it, at being, least, and yeah. all these, and then you have a million different flavors of producer. You have right. co-producer, supervising producer, and in television, a producer can be a, diff a writer. It can right. be the person who sort of runs post-production. It can, whereas in movies, it tends to be like, Somebody wrote a big check. Yeah, yeah. And I think also in TV to a degree, I don't know, there's some catch-all kind of like consultant-y, like truly they just like were a part of the process at some point, but right. they can be assigned producer in right. some way. Yeah. Yeah, it just gets topsy-turvy. I never yeah. paid attention to, I mean, I was a, a TV obsessive growing up, but mm -hmm. I almost never paid attention to credits. Yeah, yeah. You just tune them out. And to this day, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm not gonna. The movie ends. I'm out, bitch. Right. <laughs> yeah. Crawling over people. But yeah. So um, to sort of piggyback on what Allie was saying, like you got to The Simpsons, mm -hmm. um, and but then you know because this show is called Round Springfield, right? So you worked on The Simpsons as a staff writer or executive story editor. Sorry, staff sorry. writer. I know. I was I'm never sorry. I actually, I mean, I know that Selman has a story about how when he was a staff writer, his parents thought he was the only one writing the show because he was the only person with that title. <laughs> right, right, right. So I right. feel like I got gypped out of something. Mm. Yeah. But then, how long into like working on The Simpsons did you start to hate you know, everybody? Hate everybody and want out and pitch other things. Well, work starts around ten a.m., so I'd say around <laughs> eleven fifty. I became alienated by the process. Yeah. Which is really just another flavor of hating yourself. Of course. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's a good thing to get on the table. <laughs> I uh, do think, like, thou who hates the Simpsons hates thyself. <laughs> like, it does feel like oh, a... yeah, I did read that book. It does in, feel like a... In the Old Testament. Not a proverb. Well, but, I, you know, that's yeah. a, one of my favorite lines on the show, is that he who is uh, sick of Weird Al is sick of life. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so, you know, I think that there was always a culture of The Simpsons of people doing other things. Right. I didn't really do any development. I mean, I, I think I immediately started to, like, do, you know, occasional punch-up and stuff because there was a time when Simpsons writers were so in demand mm -hmm. to come in on a Saturday and just, like, spend an afternoon eating sandwiches and punching up a movie with some jerk you've never met before. Yeah. Um, I think I still – I always had to kind of – for a long time I had, like, a little sideline writing magazine pieces – since I'd worked in magazines, 
Uh, so I have a few pieces in the New Yorker and a few oh, pieces. Cool. In- I should have asked you to write something for Mad when I was there. I think, Go we, back dis- in I think time. we discussed it. Okay, I would good. have been honored and delighted. Well, <laughs> it might have saved Mad Magazine. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think you're overestimating, overestimating the powers of my prose. <laughs> uh, Which is your second book. Powers of my prose. Yes. <laughs> and you're flexing on the, ty- on the cover? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my sort of a Valentine's special. <laughs> um, you guys saw the Michael Bolton Valentine's thing, right? Oh, my I God. Was so, amazing. Wasn't it funny? Yeah. So it was yeah. so funny. So many the, great people involved. The thing where he sings... He, when the punks break in, yeah, and when Yorma Tacone comes in and yeah. says, "This is square," he goes, "You think this is square? Watch this!" And then he sings "Old Time Rock and Roll," <laughs> and they cut to the rehearsal with Michael Sheen as sort of a Bob Fosse type choreographer. Yes, he's probably my favorite five minutes of anything in I the mean, last couple of years. Yeah, I, I will promptly <laughs> go home and rewatch. It's that really tonight. funny. Yeah, his it's really Michael funny. Bolton's. I mean, I love a uh, a figure in pop culture who can laugh at themselves and me too. Be like really flexible. I in will that never way. be that person because I deserve to be treated <laughs> deadly seriously. Yeah, I'm too vain for that. Absolutely. But Michael Bolton can do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would love to know more about the the projects you have done that aren't The Simpsons that okay. you would like to talk about. Or right. the ones that you're embarrassed to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty in both buckets. I think I'm mostly, in terms of, like, TV and movies and stuff, I didn't really develop anything until I was at The Simpsons for a mere nine or ten years. I mean, it's absurd. <laughs> just to, hitting your stride. Just you It's know? absurd to talk Getting about these time frames. Like, people feel lucky as TV writers to work at a place for a year or two. Oh, my God. For six months. For six months. And it's like, oh, my for God, I, I made it a season. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I was pretty satisfied with The Simpsons for a long time and still am. But then at some point, yeah, probably like nine or ten years, and then I became a consulting producer. I was mm-hmm. only coming in three days a week, even though I was still writing an episode every year at least. So I started, to, like, developing shows, and I did pretty well with that. I sold a show to Showtime that I barely even remember. Oh, and then I, I had a project with the delightful Molly Shannon. Oh, she's the she's best. She's the best. And oh we remained the God. best friends. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. It was so cool. It was for HBO. It was about a, a woman who had been a nun all her life and left the convent in her 40s. Wow. And had to negotiate the world. And it was just so sweet and great. And, of course, they crushed our dreams and didn't oh. produce it. Yeah. And then I had a pilot with Michael Chiklis at mm. some point. It was not cool. the commish. <laughs> It was, not I was, the, ask. it was not the shield. It was great. It was a um, an adaptation of a British show called Cuckoo, mm-hmm. which this is a mind blower. At one point, very secretly, Andy Sandberg went to England and did a show called Cuckoo about a crazy American hippie who comes to Britain and marries this young woman and invades this family's life. Mm-hmm. I think he did it just over a summer. You know those shows there are like yeah. six episodes or they something. They just crank them out in a week. They weekend. just crank them out. So yeah. he did that. And then I wrote the adaptation – or I helped write the adaptation, which was Michael Chiklis and Cheryl Hines were the parents. Mm-hmm. And the the crazy hippie was played by this guy named Flula Borg. Yeah. I love Flula. He's yeah. pretty Flula. funny. He's, He's big per- in the Team Coco world right now. Oh, he is? Mm-hmm. Oh, because he just shows up and does... Well, he he was part of the tour that they just did. Oh, and then right. if you... This is very LA-specific for people listening, but um, there's a venue called Dynasty Typewriter. And uh, once oh, right. a week, they have uh, Team Coco Presents Up and Up. It's a stand-up show that Moses Storm hosts. And okay. Flula is kind of his sidekick. He's very funny. He's very and funny. Very, yeah, and he was great in the pilot, and it was terrific, and it tested perfectly, and of course they didn't put it on the air. Right. But I did get to know these British producers who eventually ended up coming to me and about a movie that I recently produced. If yeah. I could do my own segue. If yes, I, could, I, if I would love If it. I could self-segue. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was these guys, this guy named Dan Hine, who's a producer of TV and film in Britain, you know, the, the pilot didn't go, and I just assumed that's the last I'll ever hear of him. Uh, but then I did this n- storytelling thing in somebody's backyard <laughs> at some point. <laughs> you know, they do like, we're going to do a thing for runaway teens and we're going oh, to yeah. have comedy writers uh, come and tell a funny story from your childhood. Oh, yeah. Um, I've done stand-up for 11 years. Sure. So, I've definitely... so it's one of those things where like two months beforehand, I was like, sure, I'll do that. And then this, and then it happened. And they're like, uh, are you still good for Sunday? I was like, oh, fuck. That, that's actually still going. Time has moved forward. Mm-hmm. And you're confirming now. And mm-hmm. I was like, what is the theme? And they said, it's about immigrants. And I started thinking about it. I was like, okay. And I realized, yes, I'm an immigrant, but that seems boring. And so I told the story about this rather interesting French exchange student I had when I was a kid, when I was in high school. And as I said, I grew up in a very small town. And, of course, I was like a snotty, would-be, self-described intellectual surrounded by <laughs> what I thought were oh, hillbillies. Oh, must have been a blast Oh, people around. hated me. People hated I was so obnoxious and irritating. building hatred, Yeah, it was the though. loveliest town in the world. And I was just like, nobody's read Camus. <laughs> 
Yeah. So like I was not uh, drowning in attention, female or otherwise. Right, right, right. And so I thought, of course, that the problem was everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so at some point I th- I'd heard about this France-Canada, I was in Canada, exchange program. And I thought, well, if I can't make a friend, I'm going to import one. And so I signed <laughs> There's up. There's weird science of you There's in a, a very way. weird so I might as well have fed a, like a Playboy centerfold and a picture of Einstein into my printer. Yes. Which is always my favorite part of weird science. Yeah. Look what happened. Kelly LeBrock. I, I miss I miss the 80s for yeah, that kind too, of Yeah, me too. For so many absurd, reasons. Absurd, yeah. Um, and so I applied for this program and I got in and I thought, well, this kid's going to be exactly like me. He's going to be like super bookish and we're going to be fast friends. We're going to speak French and everyone's going to want to be a friend and we won't be their friends. And, and so instead, I got a very colorful gentleman who was very outgoing and fucked everybody. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Right, right. But he was just different than I expected. He yeah. was a real kind of like, I don't want to throw around the term party animal, but he was just like, he was soaked in cologne. Right. And he just wore all this. He wore, a, I remember that he wore this soccer jersey that said cock sportif. And I was like, what sportif? You know, <laughs> C-O-Q. And, uh, and he quickly became the most popular kid in town, both Aww. you know generally and with I the ladies. This. And yeah. I was stuck in many cars with him and girls who otherwise wouldn't talk to me and still weren't talking to me because their faces were on my exchange partner. Amazing. Aww. And so I wanted to murder him. <laughs> and uh, But then we eventually became good friends. And so I told the story and, and I, I wrote it down. And then this producer guy was like, would you like to try to develop this as a screenplay? And I was like, oh, that's fun. And I said, I need to change the my own name. He's like, absolutely not. We need the character to be named Tim Long. I'm like, okay. So I wrote the, I wrote the screenplay. <laughs> you didn't fight that too I hard. I didn't yeah, fight yeah, that yeah, too yeah. hard. And, and then much to my amazement, uh, the character based on me is almost exactly like me with all my myriad flaws. The French exchange student is very different, mm-hmm. although he still shares that characteristic of fucking everybody. Yeah, <laughs> and of so uh, I wrote the screenplay, and shockingly, somebody bought it. Yay! And then we developed it, and I wrote a million drafts. And of course, at some point, you just stop thinking, "Well, this will ever get produced." They just you just get notes, you do the notes, you send mm-hmm. them. Out. And of course, when you're working with somebody in England, like you finish your draft at night, and then you cut notes in the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, like, yeah. It just never stops. And then at some point, they said. Okay, let's shoot this. And so, and I was like, yeah, right. And so we um, attached this director, this guy named Dan Mazur, mm. who was part of the Borat crew. Oh, cool. He's a really, he's a really smart, cool guy. Yeah. And then we cast uh, this guy named Avin Hogia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Mm. He was a dauntingly good looking kid who's on the show called Victorious. Mm. Oh. Oh, yes. And Is that was, a Disney or Nickelodeon show? I think it was, I don't know. Oh, one of those. Um, and he was also on a show called Now Apocalypse, which was Ooh. on something on Star. Anyway, he's, and he's also in the new Zombieland movie. Oh, cool. Double and tap. So he plays the, yeah, it's double tap. <laughs> Great. I got now? one. <laughs> uh, and then we cast as the Tim Long character, this guy named Ed Oxenbold, who's this great Australian actor. And then we went and shot it. In oh, Ottawa. Yeah. And I was so just like, cool. normally screen. And I, so I went to The Simpsons. I said, may I please have seven weeks off? And they were like, sure. Why not? <laughs> Which is great. Because yeah. um, they're they're generally very good, especially if it's your own thing about giving you the time off. Mm-hmm. Of course, they, you know, they don't pay you for the time off. But, right, yeah. right. But, but they're flexible. Um, so I, and normally screenwriters don't spend their time, aren't on the set the whole time. But I thought, the director asked me to come there for the whole shoot and I thought well when is this ever going to happen again absolutely I'm just going to stand there and I'll pitch jokes and stuff and it, and it turned out to be a great experience and it's not I've seen a cut and spoiler alert it's not terrible yay that's the oh best my God. feeling yes. how yes. stressed out were you though when you saw that first cut like I, it is the first cut is link. very depressing but the performances yeah. are really we have like great people this guy named the only person you probably this guy named Justin Hartley, who's on This Is Us. Yes, he's, he's annoying, yeah. annoyingly good looking. I know. He's sort of the. I he's guess the real annoying. Ken- <laughs> I find it sometimes annoying. Yeah, he's got that real Ken doll type he's of really, vibe to him. Yeah, and he's very. He's, he's a beautiful man inside yeah. and out, and I hate him so. <laughs> and he's a great actor. He is a great actor too, and he plays this sort of. He guys he plays sort of the villain of the piece. Oh, cool. And he was great, and of course, movies take forever, and it just felt like. After a lifetime of, of like writing pilots and selling pilots but not producing pilots, it was great yeah. to actually get a thing that, yeah. that now exists. Especially a feature. Yeah. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of other writers about 
and that's a realm that I'm just now dipping my toe into, but I've been scared of writing features forever because I think it feels like uh, on another platform because maybe because I went to film school and majored in film studies, so it feels like something to be studied, whereas right. TV is a little bit more yeah. like, eh, bleh, I, they you, know? Do, you know, it used to be back when I was your age, it was the thing that people did. They wrote spec screenplays. Yeah. I don't think people do that as much anymore because there aren't as many platforms for it. And, yeah. and the, the movie theater is all either superhero movies or, or twee little... Yeah, it's hard. Renee Zellweger is Judy Garland. Yes, and I can't <laughs> wait. I'm sure um, it's great. Several months ago when I watched it. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, but what I was going to say is that I talking to other uh, screenwriters and they say that uh, feature writing is just a hobby and you can't you right. know, in any way anticipate it being made. And truly, right. as you say, like even with pilots, it is so hard. You, you sold pilots and everything seemed to be like on the up up and up. Yeah. You had people attached. You had studios that said yes, and still it died. It didn't happen. And yeah. I and I think I have written many years ago. I wrote three or four spec screenplays, mm-hmm. and that takes a long time. Yes. Like they're hundreds and hundreds of pages, and you have to revise mm-hmm. and everything. And and nothing ever happened with them. And I sort of gave up on that realm of writing. So right. And no I guess the lesson them. here is like, <laughs> give up, kids, and it'll just magically come to you. Speaking of lessons, what do you think is something that you learned from The Simpsons, either through? Uh, your own experience or someone actually telling you, like, this is how we do things that you carry with you in your other pursuits? Uh, you mean my other pursuits as in, like, sleeping and eating? <laughs> your other non-Simpsons Oh, projects. I think that part of it, I, you, I, I think that I've developed a much thicker skin than I had. Yeah. I think I was, like, sort of constitutionally unsuited to writing or really any creative endeavor when I first started out because I took things really hard. Yeah. Even, if the, even though people would say to you... Um, Listen, everything's going to get changed, and you're going to get notes saying there. There, I mean, there's a couple, there's a few schools of thought in terms of how to deliver notes. And at the Simpsons, they tended to be just very blunt about it. They just there was always sort of an assumption that you know you're good. We know you're good enough to be here. Your draft has a lot of good things about it, but we're not going to waste time on it. We're going to tell you what's bad about it, mm-hmm. um, which is hard. I mean, I try to say something nice up top, <laughs> like yeah. like, and and then say well. Because there usually is a lot. I mean, people just need to put things in context. Like, your script is great, and this is great, and you did so many things well. Here's what we need to improve. Mm-hmm. But people tend to get impatient with that, especially <laughs> when they've been around for a while. There's, um, you know, Mike Scully, the, yeah. the wonderful Mike Scully. We sort of have make good-natured fun of him because when he loves your script, he'll go on and on and say it's whatever. When he hates your script, he'll say, a lot of funny stuff. Ah, a lot oh, of funny no. stuff. And so, <laughs> and that's sort of like... Call your spouse. You're not coming home. Oh no! It's like a lot of funny stuff. No. <laughs> now those words are gonna haunt yeah. me forever. A <laughs> lot of funny stuff, uh, and it's sort of the way you would say it too. It's just sort yeah. of like it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel very. I feel alternately thin-skinned and thick-skinned mm-hmm. at the same time because, you know, it's hard not to divorce yourself from that emotional mm-hmm. sort of wellspring of, like, this is your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And you, in order to make good work, you have to put yourself on the page and really, like, just lay it out bare. Right. But then when you don't get just that little kernel of good job, right. then you and go into this, and like, this, tailspin. And, and I think you have to do it. I mean— it all it's there's and you can sort of I've become very good at discerning the difference between it's really good but we just want to address these few things and this isn't good we're just gonna have to right. really hunker down you didn't do a good job like with this movie I wrote it went through a lot of different incarnations and and for various reasons I won't get into we had to completely rewrite it over Christmas mm. and that seemed like an impossible thing to do and so I had a conversation with my producers about December seventh or something and they said. Listen, you have to completely rewrite this from scratch. We need to at least have something to work from. So we need you to totally do a new screenplay in three weeks. Wow. And I was like, you know that's going to be terrible. And they're like, of course. Just it's going to be awful. We we understand that, Tim. Just do it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay. And so I would be staying up late. And I was just – I was writing kind of as fast as I could type because I also had a job. And then I would send in pages, and they were like, wow, this is not good. And be like, bitch, <laughs> you, said that we said that it wasn't going to be good, and now it's bad. And it's very discouraging because I am having no sleep, and right, like, we all agreed right. to, it, it was going to be terrible. Yeah. And now it so is. So don't Big tell sub- me it's terrible. Yeah. We all know. You're yes. already mad because of your life being diced up by right. this. Right, yeah. exactly. So it's like you should take what you can get. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, and you know, it all worked out, but right. arguably. But... Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, it's tough. And mm-hmm. so I would say, yeah, the lesson I took was, yeah, try not to be the person that I am, <laughs> which is that I yeah. take playing everything everything incredibly personally. Just you saying of, like, the mentality at The Simpsons being like, we know you're good, that's why you're here, I think that is a lesson I forget so much. Right. You know, I, I remember being in therapy and, like, um, having, like, a bit of good career news that I shared with a friend, and she said something like, uh, well, of course, because you're, you're very nice and you work hard. Right. Which is a very nice thing for my friend to say, but my little lizard brain went, why not talented? All right. And I told that to my therapist, and she goes, do you think it was implied? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you're correct, but sometimes right. I need it. But it's hard, I think, you know, to not get that validation because it feels so good. And uh, yeah. that's sort of how we, like, set up the foundation of why we pursue creative careers. Because right. in school, we were told, you're brilliant, you know, right. in some degree. And you don't get that when you're out in the real world. Yeah, and if you do, it's sort of like it's intermittent morsels. It's like this yeah. thing, and it's the same reason people go to Las Vegas. What is it? Irregular reinforcement. Right. It's like you go to the craps table and you win. You don't win every seventh time, but you win the third time, and then the eighth time, and then the ninth time. And it's like it, you can't predict it, so it just keeps right. you putting your money down. And it's the same thing with writing. You just don't know when you're going to get that morsel of, this is great. Mm-hmm. Or like, wow, thank you so much. We really love this. Yeah. And the other thing is... Well, there's a million things I've learned, and it's one of the frustrating things is that you have to work hard, but no individual piece of writing is – the quality of it is never correlated with how hard you worked on it. Mm. So there's lots of things that you sort of dash off and that people love, and there's also things you worked really hard on that yeah. nobody likes. It's just – I guess there's a rough correlation because if you didn't try – yeah. As is always, you know, there's always that school thing of like leaving things to the night before because you don't want to put yourself on the line or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can't really do that uh, when you're a professional writer. But you just have to know that like you never know how things are going to succeed. Any individual thing, it's it's much of it is left up to chance. And I had somebody once tell me that like when it comes to writing, you just have to keep sending soldiers up the hill (laughs) with the understanding that many of them will be fragged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a great analogy. And good advice. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, I we were talking about The Bachelor and Bachelorette before this uh, podcast I'm recording obsessed. because Tim's obsessed and um, and he taught me some lessons. No, I, I just, <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> it's great. I recommend it. But um, I often think of you know the the morsels of validation, as you say, that you get so intermittently as a writer. Sometimes when I'm in between those places, I feel like I'm trapped in the bachelor mansion of my mind. <laughs> and you would get this more if you watch the show. Okay, that uh, could be the name of your knows. memoir, the bachelor yeah, mansion of your mind. But like when you watch The Bachelor, the contestants are trapped in this mansion. Okay. We don't feel bad for them necessarily, but we are watching them slowly go insane because they are not seeing the person that they're supposed to be falling in love with. And they are we we catch them in like those times between seeing them on a date or between the cocktail parties and that to me I feel the most that way when I don't get that validation and I'm like well maybe I'm a bad writer oh oh, maybe you know like (laughs) my constant thought is like well I turned in a draft and then I didn't get an immediate applause break so they must have figured me out and now they've read my writing and have um, changed their mind about me (laughs) and then they give me one rose and I go (laughs) I'm in love with them and they're in love with me and we are gonna have babies (laughs) that's yeah, yeah I know that feeling well I mean I think if there's one thing that one benefit to being the oldest person who ever lived it's, as, as Alan described more. me. more. What was that it like? It was so, the French Revolution was, wow. <laughs> Every day you woke up and was like, he got his head cut off? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like the longer you write, I mean, I, I've been in almost every situation now. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in the situation where I've had to wait a long time to get some feedback and wondered whether it meant something. Yeah. It usually doesn't. Mm-hmm. Or at least it means it usually means nothing related to me. I've had tremendously good feedback. I've had some pretty lousy feedback. I've had feedback that was positive but wrong. I've had feedback that was negative but right. Like, you know, right. all the permutations. And so it tends to give you a little more even keel. Like you, like your soul is not on the line with every single thing you write anymore because you just, you're just tired. Mm-hmm. After a while, you're just like, okay, for better or worse, I'm just going to – this is what I do. 
I'm not going to, you know, there, nothing is on the line. Unless I literally punch my boss in the face today, I probably won't be fired. Yeah. <laughs> but you did make him spill or one of your bosses spilled their coffee the other day. The, oh, my God. That was so terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. It was really. Well, so you and I are talking. Yeah. And we're sitting there talking about your episode and just shooting the breeze, as yeah. they say. And I turn around and I bump into somebody and it's James L. Brooks. <laughs> and he's carrying coffee and he he looks startled, didn't he? He looked really he startled. He spilled a good deal on the he, floor. Did he? he did. Oh, I didn't even see that. And they were both looking at each other and I thought, oh, I guess I need to go into sales now. <laughs> I have to go back to my dad's tractor dealership. It all worked out. It all worked out. But then he laughed and said, you oaf. And, I was like, and then I said, are you okay? I didn't realize that coffee left his cup. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that. News. Oh my god! But it seemed to work out, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm going to slash have depending on our timeline direct your episode. Yes. So I feel like I still have a job, but boy, <laughs> what a bad! I mean, can, think about the timing of that. Just at that was, very moment, I stepped back and bumped into my yeah. Oscar-winning boss. It ah! just adds to the story. Yeah. Uh, Julia has never announced. Uh, out loud on a microphone that she's writing an episode of The Simpsons. So yes. take this time, Julia. Yeah, Julia's writing an episode. <laughs> uh, and will it, it won't have aired by no, the time. No, it this... won't have aired. Yeah. It but it will the... be airing in October 23. Tell the story, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, that feels like its own other... I, we've been here... I wrote uh, the Treehouse of Horror episode for October 2020. It is uh, Treehouse of Horror. That's amazing. 31 XXXI, baby. Um, somebody online, uh, I spilled the beans online uh, months ago because we are uh, releasing these in the new year. Um, but uh, a listener to this here podcast uh, messaged me uh, with a screen cap that they changed the Wikipedia page already uh, for the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. But then they, they they wrote that my name was Julie Prescott, so I felt <laughs> like that kind of canceled out. Oh. But that, what an analogy for my career of uh, things being like so great, and then like yeah. But it is truly a dream come true, and uh, yeah, we just had the table read, which went well, which, which went, went really well. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, many, it felt good for me, but it's good to hear you. Say it that was it really well. yeah. Everyone was very, felt very positively about it. Yeah. Now, how many table reads have the two of you been to? I've been to two or three. Yeah, only two yeah. or three. Mm-hmm. You could, come, you know, the thing is, you can yeah. come to as many as you want. I'll come okay. next week. <laughs> yeah, you want to come next week? <laughs> is, make, is there one appointment? <laughs> yeah, there's a good. It's a good one next week. I'll come. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, if you insist. It might seem weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then that's good enough for me not to go. No, you should come. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. You, well, we'll figure it out. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you, when you go to enough of them, you realize that some of them go great. Yeah. And some of them go not so great. I had one that was like. Didn't go well. I've you know I've had twenty almost right. thirty of them, and so some of them have gone back like gangbusters, and uh, in some no gangs were busted. Yeah, <laughs> they were just went poorly. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And one time, Jim Brooks came to a table read, and his guest was Senator Amy Klobuchar. Oh my god! Who's, who's uh, weird? People show up to because re- he's a big yeah. you know he donates to a lot of political causes, and I think she was. Uh, you know, she was running for Senate in Minnesota and was, like, kind of coming to L.A. as they do to scoop around for dough. And so she was the guest, and this episode just died. No. And so – and I and it ended up – I won't say what episode it was because it ended up just fine and being on television. <laughs> but every time I see her, I will – I'll watch the Democratic debates, and she she hasn't been a really prominent candidate. But right. I'll be like, hmm, Elizabeth Warren, I like to cut her jib. And like, <laughs> Biden, what's going to happen with him? And like, oh, Amy Klobuchar, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. It becomes so personal to me. I, yeah, that is such – such a funny, I like, have to specific... say, like, I like her a lot. I like almost all the candidates. But if she's the president, I feel like I have a slight bias against her because if she's the president, I'm going to be reminded every day for four years of that <laughs> table read truly stunk. and the worst thing that could have happened to America. I'm kind of. I'm going to say right here on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back a little bit to, I-, I loved you talking about your experience as a writer and sort of like um, setting yourself up for like the ebb and flow of it. But, yeah. I, you know, with that, like in getting a thick skin, I think that a lot of people, you know, think that that translates to just um, not like being able to enjoy the process of this industry. Yeah. How do you find a way to celebrate things worth well, that's celebrating? A, that's a really good point. And I think it applies not just to writing, but to life. To I life. mean, you really, and I think that it is, I mean, there's so many different things that go into making you a writer or a creative person. And I feel like just pure intellectual 
machine power is one thing, but I also think it has a lot to do with character and temperament. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you have to, I think you have to be able to absorb disappointments really well because, you know, like I've had a, I've had so many of these phone calls where somebody says, that pilot you wrote, we loved it, and it will not be made. Yeah. Um, or whatever. Or just the way life is. You know, like if you want to have – this is me sort of getting serious and preachy. But I really think that if you want to have a meaningful life, you have to fail a lot. Yes. Yeah. And you have to have a lot of bad things happen to you. Yeah, you have to have contrast uh, yeah. in addition to things that will make you a better person because yeah. you need to grow. A, a well right. of emotions <laughs> right. to pull from. Yeah. And like I, ge- I generally do believe that if you if everything you do succeeds, then you're not taking enough risks. Yeah. And so And you're boring. And you're boring. Yeah, yeah. And nobody wants it. I, you know, there's that great line in broadcast news where somebody says, What do you do when every single one of your dreams uh, comes true? And Albert Brooks says, Keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes him that's the sex, sexiest I man marry in the world. Him. It's yes, so... he's great. <sighs> I think he's got a wife. You know, you know, whatever. And that's Looking my failure. For a third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you failed yeah. the moment he got married, even though it may have been before you were born. Uh, but I think the temperament thing is is super right on. I think that you know that goes into you know prepping yourself to get that thick skin, you know, right. to work in in uh, any kind of career, creative or non. But you know, usually with creative careers, you're taking risks, you're putting yourself right. out on the line, you're being vulnerable. Yeah. And just sort of like accept that a rejection of a project of an idea that you have is not as personal as your mind wants and, to take And sometimes it. both the victories and the defeats are very arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also, and, I, and to go with that, I think that, you know, you're talking about when things go well, I think you have to take a moment to enjoy it. Yeah. Like I have this thing that like something good happens to me, I pour myself a nice gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. No I, matter where you are. I have a bottle no of Hendrick's time. gin <laughs> and I cut up a you're cucumber. You're holding a baby. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm flying a plane. It doesn't matter. <laughs> And because you just have to be like, ah, things. Yeah. I don't know how it happened. It was. It's always some combination of talent, hard work, and and circum and luck. Luck. Mm-hmm. But you just have to sort of like, oh, well, that was a. Yeah. That was I, I had a stinging defeat yesterday, and I had a stinging victory today. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's also a place for if you have the stinging defeat um, to still take that gin and tonic moment. Right. You know, absolutely. I, I say that like that's why I'm a terrible alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> because whether it's a defeat or a victory or anything else, I'm right. swilling. You're drinking I'm so no glad, what. I'm swilling from that big jug of Hendrix. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, no, I was going <laughs> to oh, say so this that, is an intervention. Yes, isn't it? it is. <laughs> it is. Um, I was going to say that my go-to for bad Days and Good Days is uh, karaoke. I feel oh, like really? that is a good... What's your song? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car by Billy Ocean. Oh, my God. Hey, <laughs> I was going to say, you... what's your song? Get Into My Car. <laughs> Isn't there a spoken word part in the middle? Oh, yeah. Hey, dream lover. Oh, my God. Da, yeah, da, da, we could da, do it right da, now, da, da, but I, I wouldn't do da, that to da. Allie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. And what's yours? <laughs> oh, I mean, you're an accomplished musician. Right. It's uh, You know, I think because I sing outside of um, fun... I don't like karaoke. Oh, that's um, fun. But that, I get it. when I do it, I, I like to do something on the funnier side so yeah. that it's not like, look at her. She could sing. And it's like, right. uh, I always do uh, Little Girls by Oingo Boingo. Oh, I don't know that song. I, I, I love little girls. They make me feel so, so good. good. That yeah. one. Oh, my God. Really that was a song. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Um, you know, I long for yesteryear. I do. I know. I'm <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Oingo Boingo is canceled. You heard it here first. No. <laughs> Poor Danny Elfman. No. Danny Elfman is. I love Oingo Boingo, and I was just thinking about how they pop up unexpectedly in the Rodney Dangerfield movie Back to School. Uh, yeah, which is one of the best movies of all time. It's so funny. <laughs> that was another movie. My dad was like, "Here you go, kid." I remember <laughs> going to see that movie. Yeah. Like when he said, "You don't know shit about Kurt Vonnegut," and he's talking to Kurt Vonnegut. It's the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. there was a really great era for like. Uh, celebrities of that ilk appearing as themselves in films. It was like that and Bill and Ted and yeah. Right. All the, or I guess not Bill and Ted necessarily because Lincoln wasn't playing himself. <laughs> but I guess that sort of wacky guest star was yeah. sort of the trend. It's terrific. Yeah. Uh, so Tim, as we close out the show, uh, I'm curious about uh, either professionally or personally something you're excited about that you're looking forward to. Oh, I'm looking forward to a nap later this afternoon. <laughs> I had to wake up at 11 a.m. to come to this podcast. Oh, boy. We're uh, so sorry about that. Oh, you know, there's always great things. There's amazing episodes of The Simpsons coming up. And I don't normally say that. I'll believe it when but, I see it. But there's a couple of great episodes that I just watch. There's an amazing episode with Michael Rappaport playing this 
Homer's protege at work. Ooh. It's sort of who is. I think sort, I was at the table read for that. It, and he's sort of. It's sort of like the mirror image of Frank Grimes, mm-hmm. where it's this guy at work who unaccountably just loves Homer, mm-hmm. and it's. And I, I think I have one joke in it, and I just watched. And I wasn't even there when we did the screening, but I just watched it, and it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. It's so amazing. Really, I'm, I really look forward to. I feel like every once in a while. My enthusiasm for The Simpsons is renewed, and maybe because I was gone to work on another project during this rank, I'm just excited to, you know, move into the next 30 years of The Simpsons. Yeah. I know that sounds like a press release, but it's actually true. That's awesome. The, the yeah. Disney-fied version the Disney-fied of it. Disney-fied version of it, yeah. I honestly think that Disney opens up a whole other realm of being snarky about the overlords for it. Oh, absolutely. Fox has been the running joke for so yeah. long, so now it's like this whole other wellspring of Like all relationships, jokes. I'm sure it'll curdle and turn terrible. Oh, also. yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Just give it a good six months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we used to close by asking, what Simpsons character are you? But now that uh, Disney owns everything, what Disney princess are you? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm definitely the Little Mermaid. You absolutely are. At that moment where she becomes human yeah. and you just see her feet. Yeah. And then she's on the beach, and then you realize that the funny crab is looking at her naked. <laughs> that's I'm you. that. That's I'm you I'm her. Job. Yes, that's me. I'm Ariel with a crab staring at my, uh, my unmentionables. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, My Tim. pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. And uh, is there anything uh, coming up specifically you'd like to plug or uh, any social media What's links? What's movie coming out? Uh, it will probably come out next spring. It's called The Exchange. Hell yeah. So and everybody... it'll either come to a streaming service or to a theater near you. Hopefully Great. both. And uh, any social media or anything you need to plug? I think I'm off social media. Good I was a big Twitter you. person for a while. And it's it just better got, to not. It got, it got fatiguing. <laughs> it's hard. The checks just stopped coming. <laughs> <laughs> the blue checks? Yes. In your mentions? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I Julia, understand. where can people find you? Uh, thanks so much for asking. You can find me at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You can find me at Allie Gertz on all the things, and you can find us at Simpsons Pod. Uh, and you can send us an email at everything's coming up Simpsons at gmail.com. Oh, well, if we're doing it seriously, I'm a Mr. Tim Long on Twitter. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I have no Instagram, but I am a, but I am a parasite and I will devour other people's Even Instagrams. if you don't tweet anymore, people can go back and retroactively like your tweets. Oh, there's some gems. Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We're a member-supported show. Go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to contribute. This episode was engineered by Jordan Cowling. Our booking manager is Jesus Ambrosio. And our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. Smell you later. Smell you later. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.